of illumination. Speak to us, O Lord, our God, and let the fire of your spirit burn brightly in our hearts. Open our minds to receive the wisdom of the law, the hope of the prophets, and the life of the gospel. Jesus Christ, your living word. Amen. first reading comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing clearly the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, light will shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The voice of the Lord, powerful and full of majesty, thanks be to God. And our gospel reading for this Transfiguration Sunday comes to us from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Listen for what the Spirit is speaking today. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around, and they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. God unknown and unsheltered by our poor constructs, Open to us the moments when heaven overshadows time and robs us of empty words. In the moment of silence, help us listen to the voice of the beloved 
who goes to die that we might live. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In my early 20s, I spent two summers in Rocky Mountain National Park, and when I was out there, I climbed a variety of mountains, the tallest being Long's Peak, whose summit is 14,259 feet at the time. They say it's higher now, but I'm giving you what it was when I was there. We got up around 4.30 in the morning and got out to the trailhead and hiked in the dark for hours on those switchbacks that felt like they would never end and eventually got out into the open. And after what felt like a never-ending climb, we finally made it to the summit. Of course, the view was unspeakably beautiful. After smoking the cigars that my climbing partner and I brought with us up the mountain and getting a couple of pictures... We had to hustle down faster than we would have liked. Because you need to get off the mountain before the afternoon, lest the clouds roll in and you get caught in a lightning storm. So we reluctantly descended the mountain. Weaker than when we'd come, yet stronger too. Humans have always been drawn to mountains as gateways of the divine. We crave the view from above where the barrier between heaven and earth becomes thin and for just a few moments we can reach out and touch heaven itself. The Celts say that the distance between heaven and earth is only three feet apart, but in thin places it's even shorter. Well, today we follow Jesus up the mountain with Peter and James and John to a thin place. And what we witness there is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Transfiguration always comes this time of year, just before Lent. And to me, it always feels too soon. It's not because I don't like Lent, though there's some truth to that. But it's because every year we're always just dipping our toe into a new gospel. And before it feels like we've even gotten started, we have to jump to the end. So for the past month, we've been in Mark chapter 1, and we've witnessed Jesus teach and and call and and heal and set people free. And here today, we skip past eight chapters. It all feels so sudden. But whether it's in the church or in the natural world, seasons don't last forever, and change is the only constant. Sarah and I lived in Orlando in 2007, and the housing market down there was just exploding. And I remember a local news story being done about this housing boom in Orlando. And one of the reporters asked this field correspondent, prices can't just keep going up, can they? And the correspondent said, why not? (laughs) Who's to say it ever needs to go down? And I remember thinking, well, that can't be right. (laughs) Now, I didn't have any money at the time, but if I did, and if I knew what shorting the housing market had meant, maybe there'd be a book and movie written about me called The Big Short, but of course I didn't have any of those things. What I knew was this, though. Things don't just keep getting better. (laughs) The housing market isn't like that. 
The story of Jesus isn't like that. Our lives aren't like that. Seasons change. Life isn't just one great thing happening after another indefinitely. Great stories involve mountain heights and deep, dark valleys. And today we reach the hinge point in the Jesus story where things are about to change. But before it does, we get to travel up with him to the mountain. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain by themselves. Last week, we saw Jesus withdraw from the crowds by himself to make space for contemplation. Well, today he does the same thing, but he brings a few disciples with him. When they're up there, something happens. Suddenly, Jesus doesn't look the same. Now, the disciples had already known that Jesus was an extraordinary person. His teachings and his, his healing set him apart as someone special. But what they saw on the mountain was something else entirely. Like Tamatoa in Disney's Moana, Jesus becomes so shiny. Watch him dazzled like a diamond in the rough. Strut his stuff. His stuff is so shiny. For those of you who know, you're welcome. For the rest of you, let's just move on. (laughs) But Mark says Jesus is transfigured before them and his clothes become dazzling white. Joseph's technicolor dream coat has nothing on Jesus because Jesus dresses in light itself. That's pretty weird. And if that's not weird enough... Then Moses and Elijah show up and start having a conversation with Jesus. And I have so many questions. (laughs) What are Moses and Elijah doing here? There's a better one than that. How are Moses and Elijah here? What did they talk about? Who designed Jesus' wardrobe? And where can I buy a knockoff? Mark answers none of my questions, but that hasn't stopped theologians from trying to answer them. Sometimes I wonder if Christian theology isn't just one big exercise in trying to explain the unexplainable, to drink the ocean, to fill the Grand Canyon with a garden hose. If we went around the room right now and I were to ask you about a time that you had experienced the divine. I suspect your description would be full of stutters, hesitations, metaphors, and very little explanation. See, when we are experiencing awe, the only proper response is not to start a lecture, but to let the wonder of the moment wash over us for what it is an inexplicable gift that is intended to be enjoyed, not explained. Still, there's some of us who feel the need to talk, like Peter. Witnessing this incredible event, Peter decides, you know what's missing in this moment? Me. (laughs) So he says, Rabbi, It's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
And then comes what I think is one of the best jokes in all of Scripture. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. (laughs) I love that. Now, side note, there are many scholars who think that Peter is the primary witness for Mark's gospel, which to me makes this verse even better. I like to imagine Peter recounting the event years later and just laughing, saying, yeah, I didn't know what was going on, so I just said some stuff, and this is what came out. (laughs) Oh, Peter, classic. It's easy to make fun of him, and I don't mean to. I do wonder, though, that as Christians... Do we too often speak when we should remain silent? That seems to be God's response to Peter's suggestion about building three tiny houses. And a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In other words, be quiet, Peter. Just listen. Of course, these words echo Jesus' baptism where he heard the voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love and in you I'm well pleased. Now in that story, only Jesus heard the voice. But here, Peter, James, and John all hear who Jesus is and how they should listen to him. We could do a whole sermon on how we as Christians don't listen to Jesus. For instance, we could listen to everything Jesus had to say about the sinfulness of being gay or transgender, everything he had to say about abortion and border security, about the importance of free markets, about the sacredness of gun rights, the the centrality of the nuclear family, So let's take a moment and listen to everything he had to say about that. You ready? Here it is. You catch it? Yeah, he didn't say anything about those things. But you think by the way the Christians obsess over those issues, it must be the only thing that he talked about. On the other hand, Jesus had an awful lot to say about not judging other people, about not hoarding wealth, about nonviolence, compassion for the marginalized. See, it wasn't just Peter who needed to listen to that voice from the cloud saying, listen to him, we need it too. This is why I mostly preach on the Gospels, because for all the talk that we hear Christians say about following Jesus, I don't know if we have really listened to him. Have any of you seen those commercials that have been airing the past few years about Jesus entitled, He Gets Us? Wouldn't be surprised if we see one tonight. And they're interesting, right? Whenever I see one, I want to say back to the TV. Yeah, sure, he gets us, but we don't get him. I include myself in that. Much of Christianity has been using the name of Jesus to reinforce the status quo of our political and social power. It hurts, but it's true. 
What if we learn to listen to Jesus? And that begs the question, how do we listen to Jesus? Well, notice in the story that the voice came from the cloud that overshadowed them. There's a book written in the 14th century by an anonymous monk called The Cloud of Unknowing, and it's all about listening to the voice of God. In fact, the practice of centering prayer is based on this obscure book from the Middle Ages, and we have a group of people here every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning in the lounge that practice centering prayer, and you are all invited to join us. But in that book, The Cloud of Unknowing, the author says, we can't think our way to God. That's why I'm willing to abandon everything I know to love the one thing I cannot think. God can be loved, but not thought. By love, God can be embraced and held, but not by thinking. See, God is loved through contemplative prayer. As we silently, wordlessly, thoughtlessly approach the mountain of God's presence. We let go of what we think we know of God to gaze into the wonder of the cloud of unknowing. Peter didn't know what to say in the presence of the holy. None of us do. We must learn to let go of what we know so that we might love the one we do not know but who knows us fully and loves us completely. That's the only path up the mountain. And all of us are invited to climb. Now in Lent, Jesus moves towards another mountain. One that we don't want to climb. One where the view isn't beautiful, but heartbreaking. The Mount of Calvary. But still, he invites us to follow him. Now, we'd prefer to stay on the Mount of Transfiguration, to bask in the glory, but that's not how the story goes. To gain life, we have to lose it. There can be no maturity without pain, no victory without suffering, no resurrection without the cross. And what sustains us through the dark times and the deep valleys is not our knowledge, but our love of God. And more importantly, far more importantly, God's love for us. God can only be loved, not thought. So be silent. Listen to Jesus. And hear the heartbeat of love. Amen.